Hey, I'm Hendel Leva, and welcome to the Immigration Mike Podcast, where we take you through the journey and story of every guest and the personal reason why they're fighting for immigrants across the nation in their own way. Find all Immigration Mike interviews on Apple Podcasts now. Here's what's going on in the immigration conversation in 20 seconds. It was revealed this past week that Stephen Miller and Donald Trump were considering busing undocumented immigrants to places that had declared themselves to be sanctuary cities in retaliation to the Democrats. And also, Kirsten Nielsen, Donald Trump's Secretary of Homeland Security, resigned one week ago, too. Based with thoughts and top floor dreams, I don't want to think of this is not for me. I don't want your shoulders, and I don't need your pity. I just want to shine, want to put on for my city. It's the week of April 15th, and today we have an interview with Hannah, who is a digital artist based in New York who strives to provide beauty through arts and educate around DACA and immigration, striving to inspire humankind through inventive and experimental work. But before we get to it, the best way to support the podcast is by your rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a review, I'll be sure to read it on air. It's the number one way to support the show and its guests, so show your love. Here's how to do it in three simple steps. One, open the podcast app on your iPhone and type in Immigration MIC. Two, scroll down to Ratings and Reviews and click on Leave a Review. Three, rate and write your review. And that's it. So when you're done listening to this episode with Hannah, go back and do this and I'll read your review on a future episode. You are now tuned into the Immigration Mike podcast. Make sure to visit at Immigration Mike podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I am Hendel, your host for this episode. And on the Immigration Mike, we have Hannah with us today. Say hello to all our listeners, Hannah. Hi, everyone. Uh, so, Hannah, why don't you tell me how you came to find the podcast and uh, your interest in having this opportunity? So, when I went to your Instagram, I did see a lot of interviews, and you were interviewing a lot of the people that were related to my story. Um, I felt that this was a podcast that I could also voice a little bit about my art and what I have in my story as a dreamer. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and now you, you mentioned that you haven't done much interviews before this, correct? That's correct. This is my first podcast interview. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I hope it's a good experience and uh, I hope you find it to be fun and, and let's, let's have a good time. So yeah. Hannah, why don't you start by telling me, you know, who are you? Like, who is the person that I'm meeting today? How would you describe yourself? Sure. So I am a DACA. I was born and raised in Guadalajara, Jalisco. My family and I, we immigrated over to the States in 1995, I would say. It happened during the economic crisis in Mexico. My father at that time, he owned uh, two, pre- two prestigious art stores. He was really involved within the, within the art community, um, helping out college students, getting the art supplies. He would go ahead and, you know, all of his merchandise was from either the United States or in Europe and so on. So he had really just top quality um, merchandise available to the students and to the community that he was providing. However, with the economic crisis in Mexico, the value of the peso went down. So with that, obviously, it just means that he lost his businesses. Mm. So we did get, uh, so so then um, after that happened, unfortunately, we did go ahead and immigrate over to San Jose. 
over in California. So I was then raised in the Bay Area. And because of my experience growing up in Mexico with, um, you know, just being around my dad and he was a painter, he, he was just around the art community so heavy there. It was only natural that I was going to also get involved in painting. Um, I was very studious in school. I, I got a great education in Mexico too. So I was also exposed to just uh, all this, you know, like variety of subjects, music, art, and literature. All of these um, areas just really made me realize that I am a, I am somebody that's really involved in the, in the, in the, you know, in the arts. So when we immigrated over here to the United States, um, my dad was sponsored by his sister. So we got sponsorship. However, due to the time being here, um, and uh, as years passed by, a lot of the laws have changed. So when we were granted, so when my dad and was then eventually granted a uh, residency, unfortunately, um, my brother and I, so it was my mom, my dad, myself, and my brother, we immigrated here. Unfortunately, due to some law changes, my my brother and I, we couldn't get our, our residency. Only my parents were. It's a really skewed immigration system, so it's really hard to get into all the details about why we just couldn't, but we were just not granted. Mm-hmm. So all that I was able to just do in the meantime, just focus on school, and just stay just focused on just growing as an individual, trying to not be angry at the fact that I was not given this permission to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what my story is as an immigrant. And in the meantime, during this process before DACA, I found art to be a form of therapy. It was my form of release of what was going on. and. During this time, um, I have been able, I have been so grateful for little small things. It could be anything from just having a paintbrush to paper to crayons, anything to just kind of make me feel so grateful for what at least I have, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where my art evolved. It was just way back since, since um, because of my family and my, that's our business. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that um, synopsis. <laughs> uh so tell me about, you know, the actual decision to immigrate to the U.S. And um, like I, you spoke to me about the economic crisis in Mexico. Um, what was the tipping point where your family decided, like, we have to go? Like, this is our choice. Well, my, my parents, they just, you know, it's the economic crisis in Mexico was heavy on on um you know, all across the country. So my dad was not going to give up. He still wanted to go ahead and continue living in the in Mexico. So we did move around a little bit. We went from Guadalajara to Cozumel. And then from Cozumel, he realized, you know, this whole country is literally falling apart. Mm. Um, the peso, the value of the peso is not enough to take care of my family. It's not enough to, you know, give my kids a good education. There's a lot of crime. There's a hate, um, and Mexico is actually, you know, it's actually a, a bit of a racist country as well. So it was just not going well, and it was the time to think about, okay, what is better for the family? You know, would it be better to just stay in, in the country that 
where the crisis is just falling apart and it's going to be a lot more hate crime or take the opportunity, take the sponsorship that my aunt was giving to my family and cross over. Mm-hmm. So we, so that's kind of what the decision was. And I think the best decision that my family has done is just cross over and try and make a living in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just, you know, I think it's all about what it, what would be a better future for, for, you know, for the kids, I guess. Right. Sure. So. And what was it like growing up in the Bay area for you? It was, it was great. You know, um, I would definitely say that when I was, so I grew up in San Jose and it is a strong Chicano community there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of did, so you kind of did feel, you know, so, so I was definitely welcome within the community. Um, it was, I have a lot of memories of my high school and middle school. Um, but as far as that, although everything's, although everything just seemed well, the, the truth is that when I moved to the United States, I had a really thick accent. Mm-hmm. So growing up was the hard to understand the American. It was, it was hard to understand what was around me. Um, you know, getting used to speaking better English took me a couple of years. Um, you know, understanding the American culture, getting integrated into it. It did take time. Um, but however, due to this new uh, cult- a culture shock for me, I was actually embracing it and do and because I was growing up in a Chicano community, it was easier to kind of kind of blend in easier, I guess I would say. Um, I mean, why don't you, why don't you and, tell me a couple about a couple of those uh, memories that you have or like pivotal moments like in middle school and high school for you, like in relation to this, like, you know, assimilation? Well, um I mean, I would definitely say that as an immigrant that came from Mexico and getting used to the American culture, the American education, it was very different for me. Um, my teachers were trying to put me in ESL classes because my English was just, um, I would say it was very poor. But because I had parents that were very ambitious, they refused to put me in ESL classes. They believe that I can learn English by socializing, by getting, by going out, by reading, by, you know, maybe watching a TV show. That's kind of how not only do you learn English, but you get more interested and more, um, well, not interested, but I mean, you would just go ahead and just start absorbing the culture a little bit more. It's about exposure. That's how you learn by experiences. You don't just learn by just reading a book. You learn by going out, by playing with your friends, by by joining a club, by joining a sport, that's how you get involved. And I did join volleyball. I, okay. I was in the volleyball team. I was also, you know, in high school, I was really heavy into the into the art program. I got involved in animation. I got involved in theater. So that's how you learn English. And that actually does prove that it doesn't matter where you travel or what you do. But when you're in a new country, what you have to do is just kind of just take the risk and just face it. Um, there was definitely, of course, there's struggles. I mean, I got teased by, you know, like, for example, I would always say tree instead of three, you know, just little things like that. And, you know, once in a while, still slips out. But it isn't anything to be, like, embarrassed about. It's just I have an accent and I have to own it. It's like, this is me, you know, like, I, I can't help that I sound this way. And it's just, um, of course, also my writing, my reading, 
um, was actually poor in English, but it did actually get better as time passed by. And this is about getting accumulated to the culture. Well, I'm glad you brought up animation and uh, theater and art. You know, would love for you to tell me what were some of those like initial like, you know, gravitating towards that. Like, what were the favorite elements of like those three programs? Sure. So um, I'll just go ahead and just start off with saying that I have always looked at variety of artists guidance. Um, Growing up already as a kid in Mexico, getting involved in art and, you know, hanging out at my dad's art store. Um, I have just always found uh, music and theater and art just so therapeutic to me. Um, I have actually, you know, I would go ahead and do, I would get involved with like teaching kids how to paint, you know, it's like a, it's an after school program. In theater, I would go ahead and just, appreciate doing a theater set with with the class um you know learning how to act in and portraying a character that's not you um it's kind of like I, I feel that also with music like whenever i hear music it just like melts my soul you know things like that i was actually playing saxophone when i was in middle school <laughs> um so I think the the truth is that I found the arts to be a form of escapism um sorry uh, a form of um uh, a form to escape from reality, I guess. You know, you just kind of get lost in this other world and you just get really imaginative and you get very creative. And um, I always found it to be such a great way to get involved with subjects that you really are passionate about. Um, and of course, that actually made my parents really happy because it's keeping me away from getting in trouble, getting getting. Uh, involved in things I shouldn't be getting involved with. So it's actually, you know, I think in, in a way I found this passion very early um, when I was growing up and that's actually really easy to say for me, but I know for a lot of, a lot of people and listeners, like it took years to find their passion. And, and I mean, for me, I just feel very grateful that I found this at a, such an early age. Can you name me some of your um, art and musical influences? Sure. So I feel that a lot of my art has, um, I always looked at guidance for modern artists, usually like, you know, I was like Remedio Barros, Leonardo Carrington, um, Ralph Steadman, uh, Picasso, Salvador Dali, uh, a lot of surrealist artists, um, Kandinsky, that's also actually one of my favorite artists as well. Um, you know, I just believe that art exists to, I don't know how to say it, I believe that art really just exists to adjust the contemporary world. And with art, as I, I started getting more educated about it, I learned that the art as a medium, you can communicate a lot. You can act through your art what you want to say. Um, it actually wakes up your senses. It wakes it, it kind of gets you really to feel really lost in another painting. Um, so those were my influences and that is why I really, I looked up to them because whenever you, whenever I look up to them for guidance, I'm looking to them at guidance because where there are, they were able to wake up your senses. They were able to get you adjusted to the contemporary world. They were able to get you to see what is outside going on in reality. With art, they can they can make a huge influence to our, to our society and it's actually, written all over history books that um, that art does make a huge impact. 
Sure. Yeah. And, you know, before, before this interview started, you told me that, you know, you're very proud of creating work that is specific to immigration, right? Or like to mm -hmm. the identity. Um, so at this point in the interview, I would love to start getting, you know, into the story of um, how did immigration impact your life throughout your high school years? And um, I guess leading up to like the announcement of DACA. Sure. So I, when DACA was actually announced, I was actually in college. Um, so before DACA came around, as an artist, I just always found my art to be more personal and private at that point. Um, it wasn't more open or exposed like how I am now exposing it now. Um, but I will go ahead and say that before DACA, I was not able to go to school. I was not able to work. Um, so throughout my college years, in order for me to pay for college, um, I actually had to get very creative. So I would not just sell art, but I did start to get really involved with trying to find a way to make it a business. It's not what I wanted to do with my art, but it did, it did get to that point. Um, and I also became an independent floral designer. So cool. I was really involved with creating floral designs for weddings, funerals, parties. And of course, because it is a creative job, it did, I did find a lot of pleasure in doing this. It is a, it is a, it is a position that got me to kind of enjoy traveling a little bit, getting to know the Bay Area more, getting to see other people celebrating their lives. So like I I just never let the fact that I am an undocumented um, immigrant stop me from pursuing to go to school, stop me from working, stop me from traveling, stop me from getting to my, know my community. Um, I think the fear of getting exposed, I know it exists, but these fears, they can be controlled and they don't have to affect your life every single day. And this applies in any area of your life. It could be in, at work, pursuing a dream, a relationship. A lot of, I think, fear, it only exists so we can challenge it. And when we do challenge it and we realize it's really just a fear, it's nothing to be afraid of. You can still pursue to go to school. You can still pursue to work. There are ways to get around it. I feel that this experience before DACA made me an incredibly, um, you know, just more of a wiser person, more grateful, right? Um, when DACA was announced, I just felt so relieved. You know, I I was excited. I remember uh, when it was announced, I was actually in my room having coffee, and then my dad sent me a text message saying, hey, like, you should turn on the news. Obama just announced that, you know, about the streamer um, program. This dreamer program completely changed my life. I have never had so much gratitude having a driver's license, <laughs> having to drive, having not to travel even farther away, having to now go to school and oh, my, my first job. So I was so excited to get my first job. And my first job was at Whole Foods. <laughs> so um, oh, I, work, know, I worked at Whole Foods too, and it was not a good experience. But <laughs> oh, man, I love it. You have no idea. Like I was just such an like I was I was so excited for this new life and opportunity uh -huh. 
that I just couldn't be more grateful. So yeah, immediately the moment that I got that guy, I quit this this floral designer job. I stopped, you know, sacrificing my art. I stopped sacrificing trying to please people because I did have a problem with that in high school, middle school. I, I had to hide who I was. I couldn't just have to be like, oh, you know, I'm undocumented because it is true. You know, you do have to kind of be really quiet and be really careful with, with who you are talking to because, uh, you I mean, you just don't know. I mean, people just I had negative experiences reacting to people to my undocumented status and. You know, it could be racist, it could be jokes, it could be just malicious, and it's just better for me at that time to just not say anything. So, and so I can, can I can I ask you of an example sure. of that? Sure. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, so in middle school and high school, I first of all, I did not even know it was undocumented. I found out I was undocumented when I was 16 because I found out that, oh well, no, not because I found out, but because my friend surprised me. You know, I found out that she wanted to go on a trip to Europe for the summer. She wanted to go to Portugal for the summer. Just, just do this whole trip in Europe with her family. And I was so excited. I really wanted to go. So I remember going to my mom and dad, oh, hey, you know, I really want to go to Europe with my friend and I need to get my passport, right? Oh, man, my parents had to sit me down for that and be like, hey, so you really can go to Europe and now I'm going to tell you why. So when I found out, I didn't think it was a big deal at that time. I think I was a little naive. I did not know, like, the whole issue about it. But I told my friend, I'm like, oh, you know, I can't really go anywhere because, you know, I'm undocumented and so I have to stay here, like, until my papers arrive. And I think it made her, you know, kind of uncomfortable. Like, I think it actually woke up something about her, too. It made her realize, like, okay, my, my, my friend's undocumented. I can't really do anything with her. She cannot drive. She cannot work. She's always doing this. She's always doing her, you know, like, she's not like me. She's not going to be able to do the same things that I can. Like, it's all it's almost like a selfish thing that I gather from a lot of my friends. Like, they kind of saw me as, like, somebody that's, like, incapable of doing anything because I don't have a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It has been like that for years. Years. And um, it's so unfortunate, too, because... You know, being undocumented, it doesn't mean that you can't do anything. Because, I mean, I was actually still doing things. I was working. I was going to school. I was busy with my own little projects. I was, you know, like, what makes me different from somebody? Well, like, what makes me disposable as a friend? Oh, because I don't have a piece of paper? Like, it's, 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 to me, it's ridiculous. So, you know, please be out of my life if you're going to be this, um, this discriminatory about me just because of the status of because just because of my status in this country. So that's kind of my experience with that. You know, I had friends that the moment they found out I was undocumented in, you know, after high school, because I didn't find out till after high school, I think it just makes people nervous, you know, especially with, you know, stories about, you know, for example, like if, if like if there's a negative story about an immigrant, like they think that everybody is alike and it's not true. You know, um, I just think that for some reason, from my experience, people just get nervous and mm-hmm. 
I never understood that. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. Um, I, I think, you know, I've heard uh, quite a bit of these stories, you know, uh, yeah, having, done the, having done the podcast for three years. And uh, what I will say is that I want to welcome you into this community. Thank you. Know? you. And be, because, you know, even though I am an ally, I definitely have, yes. you know, um, friends that I've made from here. And I would love to introduce you to those friends virtually. Oh, great. <laughs> yes. Um, so why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about like, you know, post DACA, like what has your life been like? Um, yeah. and, and in a little bit, I'm going to ask you about the 2016 elections, just about like the state of like, you know, what you saw in the country at the time. But tell me a little bit about uh, post DACA. Okay. So post DACA, I went freedom crazy. Okay. <laughs> I, I got a driver's license, uh, I, I started working at a Whole Foods, um, I started planning ahead, I started planning for the future, I started to just really feel like now I can do the things I always wanted to do. Um, for example, like I couldn't go to like a comedy show because I didn't have the right ID, for example, just like little things like that, like, or, or I couldn't go to a bar with my friends because I don't have a state id now i do like just little grateful little things like that i just found it so overly amazing um i got a chance to travel more i got a chance to travel to washington um you know i got to see seattle portland la san diego utah wyoming i got to go to montana and then i got to move to new york so i feel that traveling has always been a really big part of my life because I do want to just, you know, expose myself to a lot of, to a lot of opportunities and see a lot of places. Um, I actually started getting more involved with going outside more. So I started, you know, uh, I got involved into more intense sports like rock climbing. Nice. I started, and I started skydiving too. Wow. Okay. <laughs> And the reason why, the main reason why is because I knew the sports were going to open to a lot of adventure. And I have always wanted to travel. I have always loved adventure. And I just wanted to just do it. And I had, and now I was able to do it, you know. So um, when I got involved with these communities, I feel that I was able to connect more with people from different parts of the world, too. I made friends that were from Australia, New Zealand, uh, Europe. Um, you know, I just felt so relieved that, I mean, even though I'm not traveling outside, I can still feel like I am a part of the, you know, I can connect with people that are different from me. So that's kind of why I also got involved in those sports, just, just to have the opportunity to meet more people. Um, so I, I did go to school. I graduated with a bachelor's in, um, art and my main focus is in 3d animation, design, I'm sorry, 3d design, animation, um, video and film. So it's, it's kind of like in that era, like media art. So after I graduated, I got a, my first job for a tech company in San Francisco and I moved to San Francisco and I was able to live there and enjoy just living in, an, in, a, in a different city than San Jose. And, uh, you know, it's just, I just feel like I can't believe that one paper 
can really just change your whole life. It opened me so many opportunities to travel, to get involved in different sports, to get a really good job and to get a, you know, get to live in another city and on get to travel across the country and now be here in New York. I mean, it really did open up a lot of opportunities and I'm so grateful for that. And um, I actually do not regret being a dreamer. I think being a DACA, it is one of the best things that have happened. And I really hope other dreamers feel this way too. The reason why I'm so blessed is because, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't really thrilled about it, but it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's actually like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because growing up undocumented made me more grateful for things. It gave me a lot of wisdom. It gave me a lot of strength and gave me a lot of ambition. But so if I have to, so being a dreamer actually made me, you know, it, it made me experience it made me feel a little bit more wiser. I feel like I got a chance to grow up a lot and I got a chance to be grateful for a lot of things. And that's something that I'm so grateful about. So I actually don't regret being a dreamer. I just hope eventually there's a permanent solution to it. So <laughs> Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's a great segue actually into talking about the state of, you know, the political moment. Um, so yeah. tell me, what were you seeing like, leading up to the 2016 elections on the news, the media, what were your uh, feelings? I, okay, so I actually had to write it down a little bit because I actually did think about it a little bit. Yeah. So, okay, so the question about the 2016 election, that election was, it was literally like a circus. That's all I remember. Like, that is the first thing that I thought. I thought was like, this is such a circus. Like, I cannot believe that this is real. It, it feels surreal to me. However, despite the fun and the jokes and the seriousness and the controversies and all that, when did it actually happen? Um, I just remember that I felt like the whole nation were, like, they... I feel like a lot of people were just scared, you know, like nobody knows what's going to happen. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be an immigrant. I mean, you have, you know, this new administration and you don't know how it's going to affect you the next four years. You don't know how it's going to affect you with your business, with your family in school. If everybody got affected now as a dreamer, I think I was a bit of a shock, you know, obviously, you know, maybe, uh, I mean, I do have some friends that were, you know, that are in the same position as me and some of them were scared. However, I feel that fear is probably the most common emotion that everybody felt. And I would just prefer to just trust the country that it is not going to go ahead. And I just I mean, my friends were scared. I was just a little, I was just a little bit nervous, but I wasn't going to let fear dictate my life. Like I'm still going to go to school. I'm still going to go to work. I'm still going to go ahead and keep doing what I have been doing before even the administration happened. I would rather just stay focused on what I need to do. Mm -hmm. 
I was not going to let fear dictate what I'm going to do every single day of my life. I'm going to keep living like, like it is my last day. I would rather just do what I what what makes me happy than let an administration completely demolish that because I have worked so hard to get to where I was and I'm not going to let an emotion worry me about it, you know? Um, and I think with, and I think with just being so driven to just continue going on, it almost feel like, you know, I, I, I should not avoid it that it is there, but because I will still keep following the news just to make sure what's going on and how, and how people are responding and, you know, how, how, how's everybody in this country doing? Like, how's everybody coping with it? Right. But I think the best thing to do in situations like that is just don't let fear just dictate your, your life. Just don't let it happen. And I think that has been working for me. Great. And, uh, <laughs> so a couple more questions. Um, okay. so tell me about two of your pieces that you would love for people to see and uh, what they represent. And what I'll do is I'll put little images like somewhere in the okay. video. But uh, tell me so, about two pieces that are really important to you. One of them is actually, um, it's a woman and it has like a watercolor splatter effect. Um, it's actually, I've actually got inspired by Picasso and Ralph Steadman. Um, so it's a woman with that's suffering from anxiety, nervousness. It's it's about the subconscious. It's about fears. What happens when fears get exposed? Um, I feel that this piece is important because I want you know people to see that as a DACA artist, growing up undocumented, I had a lot of fears. I had a lot of anxiety, and I did have to go to a a moment of depression when I found out when I was, you know, 18, 19, that I, that I was just, you know, like it, it, it affected me, you know, it did. And I think when people see that piece, not only are people just going to think it's just about, it's not just about immigration, but it affects everybody. This piece is about mental health and anybody can relate to that. Anybody can relate to the day when they have anxiety, how they feel, what, like, you know, how, like, like, how can you, how can you nurture yourself, you know? So that's one of my pieces. Um, it sounds great. I can't wait to see it. So. <laughs> uh, the other piece that I have, um, I will go ahead and say that it's, 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 um, it's one of my older ones. But it is a black and gray one. It was actually still inspired by guidance by uh, Remedios Varos and um, and Picasso because I really do like their style and I just really wanted to go ahead and grasp how they woke my senses in the same way. Um, so this piece is in black and white. It's just a community or like you know just like a, a collective of people that are probably going through some kind of oppression. It's, it's a group of people that feel oppressed. And I wanted to make sure that the mood was dark, gloomy, and this and they had a lot of despair. Um, I feel that, you know, speaking for myself and me for probably a lot of undocumented immigrants, it does feel like that. It feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It feels like you're just stuck, like, like, 
what's going to happen next? Am I going to live in fear or am I going to keep doing this? Am I going to keep, you know, am I going to let fear conquer my everyday life or am I going to let fear really take over it and really stay in this moment of despair every single day? So I think it's like a piece about oppression and just feeling despair. And again, it's back to like mental health because I really did feel that um, when I was younger, I going through all these emotions, um, it did really affected me. And I, you know, I just feel that it is so important for people to understand that when you're an undocumented immigrant, there are moments where you really do feel nervous and and you have so much fear, but also there are times where we feel marginalized. We feel like we don't belong here. We feel like, you know, like for example, for myself, I, am I American enough? Am I Mexican enough? Like what the hell am I, you know? Cause I definitely don't recognize Mexico anymore, but I'm not really an American. So I feel that a lot of my art is just talks about this identity crisis. And when you have this identity crisis, you have these mental, um, you know, like not mental, but I mean, like you, you, you do go through a lot of emotions, you know, and um, it's overwhelming. So it is definitely about that. Um, overall, just to summarize my art, it is art about being an undocumented immigrant. It is about mental health. And it's also about what an identity crisis looks like to an undocumented immigrant. Like that's what my perception is. And so I really hope people enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you take this opportunity to tell people where they can find your work? I mean, for example, I know you had, you were part of a live show recently, but uh, tell people yeah. where they can find their work and will you be doing any more like public viewings? Sure. So I did have, I, I was part of a live show um, a week ago, exactly in Brooklyn. And if anybody's interested in looking up my art, my Instagram is Hanita, H-A-N-N-N-I-T-A dot art, Hanita dot art. Or they can just go on my website at Hanita dash art dot com. Um, I am based off in Brooklyn. And I'm actually still trying to plan more events coming up. I know I may have like a small art gallery in Bushwick. Um, but I will definitely just keep that updated. I usually have all the events updated on Instagram anyways, and I just try to have followers and, uh, hopefully people come by and check it out. I didn't see you at the live art show, so I, I don't know what's your But excuse. you know what? Well, actually, because, and this is actually something cool to say, like on the podcast, the reason why I didn't make it there was because I was actually meeting with Millie, who I interviewed back in January. And tomorrow okay. is actually, she's becoming a pastor in residence. So I was providing some support for her. Uh, so that's why I couldn't go. So I'll be there supporting her. But it's pretty cool because like sometimes these interviews come out side of the computer. Um, yeah. and, and I'm actually able to support people in person. So don't judge me. <laughs> so don't judge me, Hannah, for not making it. Because I will make it, I will make it to one of your events. Okay. So, so the last question. Um, so yeah. So about your aspirations for your future. I really, so what I, my aspirations for the future is I will just love to keep educating others about what it is like being a dreamer. I would like to keep educating others about, you know, immigration. I want people to stay open-minded. Um, and I would also love to see more DACA artists come out. I want to get to know that community. I want them to 
also have a Wait, part. Wait one second. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I did interview someone. Uh, I forgot her name. I'm so sorry. Um, but she was a part of a collective of undocumented artists. Um, she was on their board, so I'm going to connect you directly to her. But go ahead. Great. So, you know, I would love to see more of that. I would love to... I think the whole point of being a DACA artist, too, is I would love for our, you know, for us to just talk more about it and expose about it more, take risks, educate others, you know, inspire others, um, inspire others with our stories, you know, you know, let's, you know, have a time capsule. So because, I mean, who knows how long being a DAC is going to last, but I want our art, our music, our poetry to be exposed. I need it. I need, I need artists. I need people to come out and just talk about it. Um, and if we just repress that, I feel that in the future, when somebody wants to learn about the time when DACA was around how you know I want to learn about the people that got involved I want to learn about the activists I want to learn about the people that helped organize this or this you know this process sure let's let's learn about that but what about the but, but what about the the dreamers that were creative you know they have they have a voice and they need to come out more and I just hold with that with my art I can keep inspiring and I can keep educating others about what it is like being an undocumented immigrant. Um, I mean, I mean, not like that, but I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it. But you know, th this whole administration has also really targeted um, Mexicans. You know, with the whole wall thing. <laughs> I would just love to educate others that you know, being an undocumented Mexican immigrant, that I do have a voice, and I just want to um express that out so that's kind of what i hope in my inspirations go that my art does take off and it has a positive impact yeah well <clears throat> yeah <laughs> so we reached the end of the interview as Yay. you see it wasn't that bad right no it was great <laughs> okay cool um so yes uh i think you know i'm thinking about your question when you said earlier like you know about your identity am i mexican enough am i american enough and you know, I will just say that I had the pleasure, you know, of getting to know you as Hannah. And uh, okay. I think I think it's a great thing that you decided to step up and do this podcast and share your voice um, as it's much needed in this time period. Because as you were saying, you know, creating this time capsule, right? So I think we have similar ambitions where like, you know, this podcast is sort of a time capsule of all immigration stories as people are experiencing them in this time period. So just want to say thank you for being a part of it. And um, any final words that you have? Um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. <laughs> okay. I really appreciate that. Great. Well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, Hannah, and, you know, please be sure to check out her work. And um, that's it for this episode. Yay, thank you. All right. And that's the end of this week's episode. If you're interested in having me come speak at your school, church, university, panel, or conference about the podcast or my film, From One Mistake, which talks about my personal motivation for immigration activism that came out of a biased incident in high school, write me in the contact form at www.immigrationmic.com or just send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at Mike. 
That's handle on the MIC and let's make some work happen. Till next time, peace.